Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. If I haven't met you before, my name is Kent. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm still sick a week later. I don't want to talk about it. So <laughs> I, uh, I told my son, Witt, who's five, that we would go to the Tennessee game uh, last night, which, as Marcus mentioned, they won in quite an impressive fashion, by the way. It feels good uh, as a Tennessee fan, as a longtime Tennessee fan. But I had told him that we would go to the game, assuming that since I had been sick since last Saturday, I would be better by this Saturday, this past Saturday, by yesterday. I was not, in fact, better, but I had already told a five-year-old that we were going to the game. You can't back out at that point. And so we went to the game, and I was sitting there in 35-degree weather uh, going, I'm going to be even sicker tomorrow. And I was right in my prediction. So we're going to get through this together. Uh, I got Eric to lend me some Gypsy Cold Care tea. If you never had that. It's not like actually from gypsies. I feel like I should clarify that. Um, but I'm, I'm going to sip on that probably more regularly than normal, and we're going to make it through it together. Sound good? Um, so if you weren't here last Sunday, uh, we kicked off our Christmas series, uh, which is called Good News for All People. And, and while it is a Christmas series in many ways, it's a little bit of a different type of Christmas series. We spent some time last Sunday looking at that famous announcement made by an angel to shepherds keeping watch out in the fields at night, the one that's in every Christmas song ever about how they came delivering good news for all people, and that's the title of our series. But we spent the mo- most of our time last Sunday focusing on some of the specifics of that announcement. What does it mean that the, good, that the gospel is good news, and what does it mean specifically that it's good news for all people? So last week we spent some... That was a nice little Darth Vader voice going on there. We good? Y'all need me to grab another mic? All right. We'll just tread carefully. From this point on, Um, not move for a second after that. But we spent some time digging through all of that, that phrase, good news for all people. What does that mean? What does it mean that it's good news? What does it mean that it's good news for all people? And, And we mentioned last week that part of what it means that it is good news for all people is that it is good news specifically for many vulnerable groups of people in our world. So often in the, in the book of Isaiah, when the phrase good news comes up, it includes a reference to the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized, to those types of people in our world. So in light of all of that, we then announced to you guys as our church family that this Christmas we are kicking off a long-term initiative to care for those specific groups of people ongoingly as a church family. We have five specific groups of people that we are focusing on serving to start with. Those groups are the single mom, 
the homeless, foster children, refugee families, and exploited women. Each Sunday, we are bringing an item or two to the gathering to give to those populations in our area to help them with tangible needs that they have. So in theory, this Sunday, many of you brought either onesies or diapers to help with single moms in our area. If you didn't know that or you knew that and then you forgot, no worries, you can still bring those items next week or you can just hop in with us on next week's focus specifically. All of that information is available on the back of your bulletins. If you're wondering what to bring each week, if you turn over to the notes section on the back of your bulletins, it gives you an abbreviated list there. Um, you can go to citychurchnox.com justice and find out what we're doing each week and which organizations those help. Uh, you can also, if you're like me uh, and you think you might forget what to bring every Sunday, we have a solution for that too. Uh, if you will just text the word reminder to 94000, we will send you a reminder at the end of each week that gives you details on what to bring the following Sunday. So all of that said, this is our way of embodying the good news of all people that is proclaimed every Christmas. We're doing it by meeting specific needs of people in our area. But last week, we mentioned to you that we didn't just come up with those five groups of people out of thin air. We didn't just pick them at random. Those groups of people, that five groups of people, they, those are loosely based on the groups that come up repeatedly in the Bible as people who are particularly in need of care and provision. So there are a group of people that theologians have called the quartet of the vulnerable, the widow, the poor, the orphan, the immigrant, or the refugee, and then sometimes there's a fifth group referred to simply as the voiceless or the unheard. In the Bible, those groups of people are especially vulnerable in our world and therefore are particularly in need of care. So what we wanted to do for the rest of this series here on Sunday mornings, in addition to all of that, is talk a little bit about each of those groups of people in the Bible, the ones that I just mentioned. Each week, we're going to focus on one of those groups particularly, study some of the emphasis that that group receives in the scriptures, and then talk about some of the parallels to those groups in our society today. And the reason that I want to do this as a church family is so that we can help better understand the plight of these people that we are serving in this series. I think it's one thing to care and provide for groups of people in our area because we're supposed to. I think it's another thing to do it because we've done our best to understand their situation and develop compassion for them, right? So in this series, I want to aim for the latter. I want to see those types of populations not just as an obligation to us, but as image bearers of God who are worthy of dignity and compassion and provision. Does that make sense? So... Today, what I want us to do is look specifically at what the Bible has to say about caring for widows. Why is the Bible and the God of the Bible particularly concerned about caring for widows? Let me try to give you some context for why that is. In the time periods that the Old and the New Testament were written, widows occupied an incredibly vulnerable space within most societies. And some of that was due simply to the fact that they were women. Most societies back then were heavily patriarchal. Most cultures were led and governed by men. Most laws were established and enforced by men, which means, means that sometimes they did not have the best interest of women at heart. 
But beyond widows just being women, widows were particularly vulnerable because of the tragedy of their husband's death. If there was a surviving son, that son would actually get the deceased father's inheritance and could choose whether or not to care for his mom with it. But if there was no surviving oldest son or if there was no inheritance, that left the widow without much of anything to take care of herself. Additionally, many money-making professions back then were only available to men. So widows were left without many ways to make money and provide for themselves financially. And when you add to that that quite a few husbands and fathers back then died very young due to pestilence or famine or just the daily strain of manual labor, and you can begin to see the problem that occurred at a societal level. Many ancient societies would have a population of widows, both younger and older widows, that were in vulnerable social situations. Being a widow in the ancient world was unbelievably difficult and was often a devastating life and death type of situation. Now, it's because of all of this that the scriptures advocate frequently and emphatically for the protection and provision of widows. God cares for and regularly commands his people to care for widows. I didn't tell you to turn to any particular passage this morning because we are going to cover a lot of different passages on this topic, and they're all relatively short and punchy, but this is a repeated theme throughout the Bible. So you can follow along on the screen as we move through them. You can also download the PDF that we'll post later on today when we post this teaching if you want to do more study on your own. But I want to show you just a glimpse at the frequency of this emphasis in the Bible of caring for widows. For starters, when God first delivers the law to the Israelites, it contains regular reminders in it to look out for the widow. It also contains stark warnings for those who choose not to look out for the widow or to take advantage of them. For instance, Exodus 22 says this. This is God speaking. He says, do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. There are passages like Deuteronomy 10, verses 17 and 18, where Moses is reminding the people of who God is and what he's like and says this about God. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. It's actually interesting, if you read through the Bible, how many times God introduces himself by saying that he is a defender of the widow. Almost like it's one of the primary things that he wants people to know about himself. I mean, think about the details that you like to include most often when you introduce yourself to a new person. So the details that I usually bring up are, hi, my name is Kent. Uh, I have two small children, and that's why I look sleepy all the time. That's one of the first things I say to people, because otherwise, people are just going to think I'm not interested in our conversation because my eyes are glazing over while we're talking. So I like to get ahead of it. I like to get ahead of that from the beginning. So I try to say it first because it's important. Okay, well, one of the first things God wants people to know about him is that he is a defender of groups of people like the widow. That's significant when it comes to God's character and who he is. Again, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, it says, do not deprive the, fo the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. 
So back then, what you would do if someone couldn't pay you for a, a product or a service is that you would take a pledge, essentially like an IOU from that person. Often, something that would be used is a person's cloak, sort of people's outer garment that they wore day to day. But here it says that when it comes to your dealings with widows, you aren't allowed to take their cloak as a pledge. Why? Because it might be the only one that she has, and she's economically vulnerable. So you shouldn't take one of her only possessions from her. To do so, according to this passage in Deuteronomy 24, is equivalent to committing injustice against her. Those are strong words. There's another passage in Deuteronomy where it tells people that own farms and own fields that they have to, quote, leave the edges of their property unpicked and ungathered so that widows and others can come and glean freely from it for food. Now, it's difficult for us to register the importance of that statement because most of us are not farmers that own fields, although we are in East Tennessee, so if you drove in from out of town and you own a farm, welcome to the big city of Knoxville, glad you're here. You know what this is talking about, but most of us don't, right? This would be sort of, so the edges of people's fields were equivalent to income. So this would be sort of like God saying to all of us, hey, structure your budget however you want week to week, but the last five to 10% of your income, just set that aside and leave it somewhere for the widow and the poor and the orphan and the foreigner. Just let them come get it. This is part of how God cares for the widow and for other groups of people like them. The next chapter in Deuteronomy contains a sort of liturgy, and this one's a little bit odd for us, but it's a, it's a call and response type of practice that God's people would do when they're gathered together. And in this practice, one person standing in the middle of everybody else says, cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. And then everybody else standing around them says, amen, which would be an interesting practice for us to do today, right? Like for us, just one person to declare curses and everybody else to say amen. I don't know that an Alabama or a Georgia or a Florida fan would be safe if that was our practice, but maybe we should try it. What do y'all think? No? Okay. I'm going with a no. Um, but that was the idea there, and this was a way of the Israelites collectively decreeing that it was wrong to ever take advantage of groups of people like the widows. There was also an interesting practice in ancient Israel known as the kinsman redeemer. It was where when a woman's husband died, either his brother or another male relative would marry his widow and provide for her. Now, I realize that is also a very odd practice for us to imagine in our day and time. You'll be happy to know that practice is no longer binding for followers of Jesus. You don't have to get weird about it, okay? But in its time... This was actually a very beautiful practice that was built around the protection of women to keep them from unnecessary suffering and hunger and exploitation. The book of Ruth in the Bible, if you've ever read it, is actually a really beautiful story that centers around this ancient practice of the kinsman redeemer. Throughout the book of Psalms, God describes himself and other righteous people as defenders of the widow. And an unrighteous or an unjust person is someone who takes advantage of widows. I'll give you just a few examples from Psalms. Psalm 68, 5 says this, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. Psalm 84, talking about people who are unjust and corrupt, it says this, They crush your people, Lord. 
They oppress your inheritance. They slay the widow and the foreigner, and they murder the fatherless. And then Psalm 146, it says, The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. In the book of Isaiah, it describes a person who does right as the person who pleads the case of the widow and the wicked person as the person who refuses to hear her case. Jesus then picks up where Isaiah leaves off condemning the religious elite of his day by saying in Mark chapter 12, they devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. I'm just saying one of my goals in life is to not end up on any of the punished most severely list in the Bible, right? Doesn't sound like a great list to be on. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus raises a widow's son back from the dead. Now, that's amazing for all the obvious reasons, right? I don't know if you've ever witnessed a resurrection before, but I would imagine they're pretty cool to be a part of. But what makes it even more significant in this story is that Jesus was tangibly caring for and protecting a widow by bringing her son back from the dead. He was making sure that she wouldn't be left in a vulnerable social position. In other words, in this miracle of raising the widow's son, Jesus was doing as much for the widow as he was for her son. On the cross, right before Jesus breathes his final breaths, Jesus told his disciple John to care for his mother Mary, a widow who would now be without a surviving oldest son. In the book of Acts, during the early days of the church, we read about a situation where the leaders of the church specifically appoint a council of seven men whose sole job it is to make sure widows get fed and provided for. In the book of 1 Timothy, Paul spends the majority of one chapter giving detailed instructions to the pastor of a local church on how to navigate the logistics of caring for widows. Evidently, this was a significant ministry throughout the Bible and especially in the early local church. And that is just a sampling of what the Bible has to say about caring for widows. I've left out quite a few passages on the topic just for time's sake. I know that's a lot to cover. I would say sorry for all the Bible, but that's like kind of our thing here. Like that's what we do. I don't know if you knew that. But I take, you all, I take you through all of that to show you that this focus on God as a defender of widows and his desire that his people would be defenders of widows as well is quite the pattern in the scriptures. Groups of people like widows are very near and very dear to the heart of God. God knew that the world is often set up in such a way that groups of people like widows are often extremely vulnerable to harm and to exploitation, and so he wanted caring for widows to be a focus for him and his people throughout time. God is a defender of widows. And while a lot has changed between the time the scriptures were written and today, some things actually haven't changed much at all. Groups of people like widows certainly have more options today than they did back then, but their experiences and day-to-day -day difficulties can sometimes be just as difficult. Today, we could probably include in this same type of group as widows, we could include women who are abandoned by their husbands, women who are unfairly or sinfully divorced by their husbands, women who are survivors of domestic violence, and single moms. Each of those groups of people can find themselves in similarly vulnerable positions socially 
to widows. And one of those groups, single moms, is especially prevalent in our society today. There are nearly 11 million single-parent households in the U.S., and 80% of those are single-mother households. Of those single-mother households, about a third live at or below the poverty line. About a third are also considered food insecure, meaning that they lack reliable access to the amount of food they need at prices they can afford. 62% of those households received food stamps this past year. Single moms encounter a wide variety of challenges, ranging from the tangible to the emotional. Access to safe and affordable housing and the means to pay for it. Most single moms have no choice but to put their kids in daycare, and with that comes the challenge of finding daycare that is safe, that is close enough to work, and is affordable to the single mom. Then there's the challenge of what to do on the inevitable weeks that a kid gets sick or that daycare is closed. There's also the enormous cost of daycare. If you have kids in daycare, you know how expensive it can be. If you're a single mom, you have to find a job that makes enough money to pay for your children's daycare and still more on top of that for your survival and that of your family. All of these are contributors to why a shockingly high number of single mother households can end up homeless in America. I asked Paige Brereton, a woman in our church family who is both a widow and a single mom, to share some of her firsthand experience when it comes to things that she deals with on a regular basis. Here's some of what she said. She said, one of the toughest parts of being a widow and a single mom is constantly having to be on. If you're a parent, and especially if you're a parent staying at home, you know how that feels to always be on. You know exactly what she means by that. She says, there are no turns, or, or there are no taking turns or taking a break. The mental load of running the house, daycare drop-off and pickup, cooking, cleaning, discipline, potty training, that's all on me. There's no one to tap in when you're at the end of your rope. There's also only having one person's worth of sick days to take with a toddler in daycare. She also said that while having church family to meet needs is really helpful, that always having to reach out for help can be exhausting. When there are two adults in the household, one of them can often notice where, when the other one is struggling and step in to help in those moments. Again, parents, I'm not saying that always happens, but I am saying that it's possible, right? With being a widow and a single mom, there's no one to notice that as often. So my point is that while it may look slightly different today, the plight of groups of people like widows and single moms can be just as difficult, and they can find themselves in just as vulnerable in a world that was not set up for them to thrive. But the God of the Bible has and always will be a defender of those groups of people. As followers of Jesus, we believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which means that his heart for these groups of people is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if God was a defender and a supporter of groups of people like this back then, he is also a defender and supporter of these groups of people today. And just like God called his people to be a part of that provision back then, he also calls us to be a part of that provision today. Does that make sense? And it is precisely our belief as followers of Jesus in the good news of Jesus that compels us to do precisely that. 
You see, as followers of Jesus, we understand that we were all in a vulnerable situation once, whether that was due to our own actions, the actions of others, or circumstances outside of our control. Generally, it's a combination of all three. But while we were in that situation, the scriptures tell us, Jesus sought us out and rescued us. He cared for us. He provided for us. And he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Within the Christian tradition, we have language for that idea, the the idea that God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We call it grace. Grace is what you and I experience when Jesus went to the cross for us. Grace is what you and I experience when Jesus rescued us out of situations that we got ourselves into and out of situations that he did not create. And understanding that experience of God's grace as a follower of Jesus should also guide and motivate us towards compassion to others. It should make us just People. It should make us people that pursue justice towards vulnerable people groups in our world. It should necessarily incline us towards the poor and the marginalized and the vulnerable people in our world. Here's the way pastor and author Tim Keller puts it. He says, the logic is clear. If a person has grasped the meaning of God's grace in his heart, he will do justice. If he doesn't live justly, then he may say with his lips that he is grateful for God's grace, but in his heart he is far from him. If he doesn't care about the poor, it reveals that at best he doesn't understand the grace he has experienced, and at worst he has not really encountered the saving mercy of God. Grace should make you just. Here's the way James chapter 1 verse 27 puts it. Religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's the type of religion that God our Father accepts. Following Jesus, genuinely, authentically following Jesus, looks like us being motivated by his grace to care for groups of people like the widow and the single mom. Because Jesus cared for us, we care for them. God's grace makes us just. So this Christmas, we are helping and serving single moms in our area through an organization called Bethany Christian Services. Some of you may have heard of Bethany. They're one of the world's leading organization when it comes to faith-based adoption. Several families in our church have actually adopted through Bethany already. But what a lot of people don't know, and in fact, I don't think I knew this until friends of mine adopted through Bethany, is that they also do a phenomenal job caring for expectant single moms. These moms will often come to Bethany because they're overwhelmed or scared or don't know what to do, and Bethany will help them in a variety of different ways, from providing food from their food pantry to helping them research daycare solutions to connecting them to ways to help cover utilities or other bills that they may be short on. A woman in our church actually works as a pregnancy counselor for Bethany and is involved directly in one of these services. But one of, way, one of the ways that they help these single moms is by providing basic items and clothing for these moms, two of which are diapers and onesies. So that's where we're stepping in to help this Christmas. 
the diapers and onesie that y'all brought this morning and will continue to bring will go to Bethany and be given to single moms that are in difficult situations to help take at least a little bit of the pressure off of those moms. There, there are so many other things that single moms need, and our hope is to be involved in even more ways in the coming days with this partnership. But things like onesies and diapers are obviously needs across the board for them. And if it's one less thing that a single mother has to worry about, that makes a difference in her day-to-day -day life. So that's what we're going to continue to do. And our hope is that by beginning with this initiative, as simple and as small as it is, that God will continue to form us into a people who care consistently and sacrificially for groups of people like the widow and the single mom. So here's what I want us to do as we close. Before we're done, I would love it if we could just spend a few minutes in prayer for groups of people like the widow and like the single mom. I want to pray for groups of people like that right here in Knox County, but also in the world at large. We've talked about God's concern for them. We've talked about how God wants us to participate in caring for them. I'd love it if we could just close out by praying specifically for these groups of people. So I'm going to lead us in a few prayer prompts. They'll also be up on the screen. I just want to ask you if you want to go ahead and put away your stuff, if you want to bow your heads, close your eyes. I'd love it if we could just spend a few moments in prayer together for these groups of people. So as we begin, um, I want to just pray that God would make his presence known to widows and single moms in our world, that he would make his presence known. Spend a few minutes praying for that. to spend a few moments next asking that widows and single moms would be able to find their way to communities of faith and maybe more significantly that communities of faith would find their way to them so that they can be cared for in tangible ways. If they're not already connected to a community of faith, let's pray that God would set up ways for that connection to happen.
then finally, I, I want us to pray for the church, not just for City Church, but for the Big C Church across the globe, that we would fully embody and reflect God's heart for groups of people like the single mom and the widow, that you would make us a church that embodies that reality, that seeks those groups of people out and looks for ways to care for them. Spend some time praying that God would make the global church that type of church. Father, we want to thank you first and foremost that this is who you are. God, that you are the God of gods, you are the Lord of lords, and that you are a defender of the widow, that you are a helper to the single mom. God, that your heart goes out for groups of people that so easily get looked over and forgotten about and taken advantage of. God, that your heart has and always will be near and dear to them. God, we ask um, that you would forgive us of times that we have overlooked groups of people like this, that we have forgotten about them, that we have not looked for ways to serve them and to help them with tangible things that they need. And God, we want to ask that by your Spirit, you would knit together that heart and that desire and that motivation in us as your people. That we would, because we are made in your image and because we are called to imitate who you are, that we would become defenders of the widow and the single mom, that we would look for ways to pour ourselves out to benefit groups of people like these, that you would help us to... Uh, to let go of some of our resources and possessions in such a way that benefits these groups of people, that we would live just lives. God, where we look for ways to provide for things that they need. God, and we ask that you would empower us to do so, that you would just give us eyes to see. I think so much of it is just in what we see and what we perceive and what things we notice as we go about our lives. But God, people who are in need are everywhere. And so God, would you maybe just help open our eyes a little bit, specifically this Christmas, but always, 
Would you help us to open our eyes to the tangible needs of people around us? There's likely people that we work with or that we go to school with or people that we're around on a regular basis who are in these categories of vulnerable people groups that have practical needs. And so God, would you just open our eyes to see what's in front of us? And God, if there's not anything in front of us, God, would you help us to go out and seek out the people in need in our area and that would you help us to pour our lives out to benefit them and to build them up and to meet those needs in ways that we can. God, we want to ask that your grace and your mercy and your compassion would just take root in our hearts in such a way that, as the quote said, makes us into just people as a result that we would understand that everything we have from you was a gift. Everything that we have was received. And so God, would you make us people that give freely as a result of that? That just open up our hands, open up our wallets, open up our resources, and God, give freely as we have been given freely to. God, this is something that only you can do by your spirit, and so we ask you, by your spirit to come and to fill us and to make us into these types of people. We ask this in your name.